give him. Come on, give him a big hand. He is worthy. Majestic and awesome is our God. Praise the Lord. Well, give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good this morning. And remind them lunch is at Pastor Travis's house, not the Olive Garden. Pastor Travis's house. Does anybody have his address? Put it on the screen, please. We'll, we'll bring our own plates and forks for him. How about that? Hey, great to see you today. Trust you've had a good week. My wife, Linnell, sends her greetings. She had surgery this week, but she's doing well. And I uh, appreciate those of you that might have prayed for her. I want to encourage you, if you are new in our church or kind of have come a while but don't really feel like you've you know, found a place and are not connected, we once a month offer what's called the Connect Class. And its whole purpose is just a couple weeks long. It's on a Wednesday night. starts at 6.30. But its whole purpose is to help you find your way into the life of Church on the Rock, help you learn more. And uh, I would encourage you, it starts this week is class number one. And uh, we won't do it in June. So this will be an opportunity for, uh, for you to come. And we'd be honored to, to have you be a part of sharing the journey. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time, since 1976. I was raised in church. Uh, it didn't take. <laughs> I was not, didn't get saved until I was 19. But how many know God comes to us in special times in life? And when we say yes to Him, life just takes a good turn. And the more we say yes, the better it gets. Well, here's something I've found. I've been in, in Christian vocational ministry over 30 years. And though you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, it just makes the journey there a lot easier. It helps you stay focused. It helps you stay on track. And uh, I, I'm of the, of the mind that everyone needs to find a local church, a body of believers, friends to share life's journey with. Church should be more than just a place to go on Sunday for an hour. It's more than just a religious duty or an obligation, but it's a place where we find the body of Christ. It's a place where we can help, find help for our troubles, but also find a place for significance in the world in which we live. And we're just honored that you're here today. I know Texarkana has a lot of great churches, and uh, I'm just pleased that you're, you're with us this morning. Turn your Bibles this morning, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we've been doing a series called Before and yeah, before and after, and it's about the changes that God brings in our lives, the fact that God uh, takes us in one spot and brings us to another. We've learned about uh, a number of characters. We learned from Simon Peter, you may recall, that after we make a mistake, God gives us another chance. How many are glad for that? After we mess up, we learn from a lady named uh, Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, but from her we learn that after we walk away from our old life, God gives us a new life if we're willing to make the turn. We learn from one of the great men of the Bible, Paul the Apostle, that after a crisis, we've learned to depend on God more, and that's a good thing. Last week, we learned something from Jonah. You remember last week, Jonah and the whale? How many know when God asked Jonah to do something, what did he say? Yeah, no way, but after God disciplined him, what did he say? Yes way. He said, I'll do it. So after discipline, we do what God says. Well, this morning, we're going to talk uh, about uh, a message I've entitled, The Test. And it, too, is a before and after about a spiritual test. Now, how many know our faith is tested when we face difficulty? 
Difficulty is a part of life. It just is. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's a part of the world. And every time we as a believer face it, it challenges us. And the test is, am I going to continue to believe God, not only believe in God, but am I going to continue to walk with God, to continue to follow Him, to continue to put His ways first when I'm in the middle of this test? And if I pass the test, here's what you'll see this morning, is that God will reward me. In other words, the test is just like in school. How many know a test in school would test what you know, what you've learned, whereas a spiritual test tests the reality and the depth of our faith. And when we pass it, God is always faithful to promote us. Listen to James. James chapter 1 It's was our Bible reading actually this morning in our Bible guide. James 1.12, it says, Happy are those who remain, say it with me, faithful under trials which means you can either be faithful to God to continue to believe and follow, or you can allow it to, to knock you down and stay down. Because when they succeed in passing such a test, what does it say we will receive as our reward? The life that God has promised to those who love Him. So we've got being faithful under trials, we've got passing, and then we've got God doing this incredible thing called rewards. Now, where we're going to go, and I'm going to do my best this morning to give you the whole book of Daniel in a nutshell, and we're going to look at the book of Daniel from the first verse to the last, not every verse now, but we're going to look at it through the idea of a spiritual test. And you're going to see as we look at the life of Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they face challenges, they face tests. And it was not their own fault, it was not their own doing. Sometimes you just find yourself in the predicament. Now, these three young men, they were young Jewish men. Likely, they were in their teens when the story started. They were young men, and uh, their, their parents, their grandparents, and those before them had made such dramatic mistakes that God judged the nation. And the whole nation of Israel now was in captivity in Babylon. Well, lo and behold, they marched these guys into this foreign country. They're in a place they don't want to be, but guess what? They make a choice. I'm going to walk with God. And we see how life unfolds for them in a series of spiritual tests. But what I want you to see this morning, most candidly, is that when they pass the test, God rewards them. And how many know that's a message for us as well? When my faith faces a challenge, the challenge can be the next level of my life. All right, so let's look together this morning. It's called the test. And before I hop in, Daniel, I want to acquaint you a little bit more with this idea of a spiritual test. I've talked to believers about this over the years, and sometimes people would look at me like a cow staring at a new gate. How many, how many have ever seen a cow stare at a new gate? Let me see if we've got any country people here. Okay, well, just a few. Well, let me kind of give you the picture here. That cow walks up and it's unfamiliar and she just kind of looks like that and just kind of like, I'm not going through there. The idea that God would test us. Somehow, in your image of God, what kind of God do you know and understand and see? It's almost, uh, some students wonder why the teacher would test them. I mean, aren't they just supposed to go there and, and, you know, have fun and flirt and send text messages and then go home? No. School is a test. School is a series of becoming and developing into the person that, you know, of your dreams and ambitions. But it takes tests to reveal what's inside. I mean, no, you don't get to be, be a doctor and wear the white coat just because you want to. I mean, you have to pass first the MCAT to get in, and then you have to pass comprehensive exams and a series of tests. And then when you graduate, guess what? You get to wear the white coat and you begin to pursue that vocation. Same thing spiritually. But I want to look at this idea of testing because our faith will be tested. But the wonderful thing I want to tell you is God will reward us when we pass the test. Now, you'll see this consistently, Old and New Testament alike. It begins, and I want you to see, tests have a number of sources. God can test us. 
The Bible will teach us that Satan tests our faith. In other words, the challenges for the vibrancy of our faith will we stay with God, and sometimes life itself does it. But Genesis 22.1, firstly, God tests our faith, and it says it very simply and very candidly. Read it with me. It says, God... Yeah, God tested Abraham. And the test was a huge challenge. Abraham responded, here I am. The challenge, of course, was he said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And, of course, I'm not going to go over in the entire story. God never wanted to take the boy's life, but it was just a challenge to see if he would believe and do anything that God said he would. And lo and behold, it happened. And after he passed the test, God basically said, listen, God, I'm about to bless your socks off. You're going to have so many descendants, it's going to be like the stars in the sky. And, oh, by the way, in the future, people in the Bible will call you the father of... Yeah, so for the whole world, when Abraham passed this test, that was the legacy that he left. But it began with a a, a revelation of his heart, what he would do when the test came. In the New Testament, Jesus tested his disciples to reveal what was inside. John 6, 5, Jesus saw a large crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, well, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may have something to eat? And he said this so he might... So Jesus testing one of his followers, again, to reveal what's in his heart because he's trying for him to grow progressively in his faith. Uh, Revelation 2.10, and let me say, not all testing is of God. How many know Satan sometimes tests our faith? And his purpose is he wants to destroy your faith. And I'm telling you, you face an enemy. There's an evil one that wants to knock you down and keep you down. You face adversity, and the devil wants you to believe that God's not real, that God doesn't exist, that God doesn't care, that if God was loving, that this wouldn't happen, blah, 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 blah. And all that stuff goes on, and the devil is trying to knock you down and stop you. Well, look what's happened, Revelation 2.10. The devil is about to throw you, some of you, in prison. And we're writing to the seven churches there in the early in the book of Revelation. Now, how many know the devil was, uh, the guy that threw him in prison didn't have uh, horns, come on, and, and a pointy tail? He was using a person. And just like Satan influenced someone to persecute the Christians then, Satan will use people to try to hinder your faith. He'll use people, just like Judas was used, to betray Christ. The Bible said Satan entered him. And I'm not talking about the exorcist in possession and all that kind of stuff. But what I am talking about is people under the influence of evil. And how many know you may look at some things in the world and you may, you may read a news report and say, how could somebody do that? How could there be such hatred? How could there be such violence? How could someone actually... I'm telling you, friends, there's an evil influence. Well, Satan is... T- notice what it says. He's going to throw you in prison so that you may be... What's being tested? Your faith is being tested. Am I going to stay faithful to God, faithful to my calling? Am I going to continue to do what God said, even though it's not fun? For ten days you'll have tribulation, but here's the promise. If you're faithful unto death, I'll give you what? There's the reward. So sometimes our reward comes on this earth, as we'll see this morning. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, fiery furnace, they came out. Daniel in the lion's den, he came out. But in this time, they go to straight to, they don't, you know, pass go. They go to be straight with the Lord. And how many know that's probably the preferable way to go? But it was a test, and Satan was behind. And lastly, Luke eight thirteen, trouble just is a part of everyday life. You remember the parable of the sower? Where in the parable of the sower, the seed was the word of God, and the seed was sown in people's lives, and it fell on different types of hearts. One heart it fell on was a place on the, uh, off the pathway, and the birds, or Satan, literally stole the seed away. The second illustration there was the seed fell on a place of rocky soil. It didn't have much root, but when trouble came, they fell away. Well, here's the verse. 
it says the ones uh, and the ones on the rock are those who hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of they fall away. So testing is, is trouble, and trouble makes some people fall away. And obviously the last par- of, of the parable of the sower was on good ground of the heart. And that person received it. They bore a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold, and God had rewarded them for fruitfulness. So bottom line in life, trouble is a part of it. Difficulty, challenges are there. But I want you to see it. You may be facing something today or may face it tomorrow. I want you to see it this morning through the lens of a spiritual test. And I don't know that it really matters as much whether if we can figure out if God's doing it to the devil or wherever it's coming from, because the main thing is how I respond. Because if I pass the test, how many know uh, what you're trying to do is you're not trying, you don't, you, there's no way to cheat during the test. I mean, you can't send your neighbor text messages, you know, what the answers are. This is your test. This is something you go through. But if you prove yourself faithful to God... Now, you may have days, and I've had them, where I just didn't want to get out of the bed, so to speak. I mean, I've had times where I didn't want to go to church, but my wife says, you're the pastor, you, you have to go. Um, you know, I face times in my life where I was, would rather be somewhere else. You know, I, I've heard sermons uh, preached sometimes, and it sounds like God is nothing but Santa Claus, and life is good and great, and you'll never have a problem, and blah, 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 blah. And I wish that were true. But sometimes life just smacks you in the face and you just wish you were somewhere else doing something different. And I'm telling you, life has challenges. I mean, my wife had surgery this week. She, you know, had something going on and she prayed for two years. I mean, I would come to the altar uh, and ask for people to pray for me and, and the whole thing. Well, that's a challenge to your faith. And finally, she, you know, it just got bad and she just said, you know what, I'm going to go to get this taken care of. Well, she's recovering today, but I'm telling you, it's a test. And it was not only a test for two years, now the test is when somebody else comes for prayer and they're sick, can she have faith, can I have faith to believe that just because she wasn't supernaturally healed, that God could heal somebody else? Because somehow life has a way of knocking us down, keeping us down, and if the devil can't destroy us, he wants us to walk with a limp. So I want you to kind of see it through the lens of testing as we talk about Daniel and his friends right now. And I'm going to look at three tests this morning that they faced. Number one, the first test was a test of what I'm going to call worldliness. Will I be like the people of the world or will I live the life, the godly life that God wants me to live? We're going to see that they were trying to be pulled into it. And the second and third tests are somewhat similar, but those tests have to do with, will I do what's right even though it will cost me? Will I, will I bow to political correctness or will I be true to God? Tests that they faced, each time they succeeded, God rewarded them. Let's begin with the first one. Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Here's the question. Will I live like the people in the world or will I live to please God? That's the test. Will I become worldly? Now, how many know the Bible tells us to be holy? It says, be holy as I am holy. And you may think, well, that's like the Catholic priest in, the, in his robes, or, or you're some this religious guy and you live in a monastery. It's not what it's talking about. To be holy means to be set apart to God. It doesn't matter about the clothes you wear or the way that you look. It's a matter of your heart. And the world, and I'm not talking about the earth or the planet, but I'm talking about a system of behavior. I'm talking about attitudes. I'm talking about values that are different from the values of the Scripture. I'm talking about uh, principles that we live by, principles of marriage, principles of sexual purity, principles of, uh, of, uh, that affect the places we go and the people we hang out with and, and the words that come out of our mouth. 
I guarantee you, you would probably not be sitting here today if uh, you overheard a phone conversation and I was cussing and, and, and I, you saw me over at Applebee's and I was, and I was, and I was at the, Jimmy, uh, up to the bar drinking and flirting with the waitress. You wouldn't come, would you? No. Why is that? It's simply because the life is inconsistent, come on, with the teachings of the Bible. And you know the greatest witness and testimony that we have is not what we say, but it's the life we live. We are always witnessing, and when necessary, we use words. So, so God is looking for us to live this life of following God. Daniel chapter 1, let's see how the test unfolded. The king, verse 3, and I'll kind of condense this, these verses for, for time's sake. The king ordered his chief of staff to bring the young men who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. Verse 4, train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Now, this is basically a way of saying, I want you to turn these Israelites into Babylonians. I want you to turn these people that followed God, I want you to turn them into pagans. I want you to turn, cause them to turn their backs on God. Let's make them worldly. It goes on to say, Daniel, now these are their Jewish names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Jewish names, were four of the young men chosen. The chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was Belteshazzar, uh, uh, his friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the new names, the Babylonian names. But verse 8 is your key. Daniel determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given by the king. So I want you to see he determined not to defile himself. Now what does that mean? It means he refused to become worldly. Now, when we talk about this, again, the king was trying to make them into Babylonians. And I'm telling you, the world is trying to make you in its image. Young people, when you go to college, the college professors, many of them will try to take your faith away and cause you to believe in the God of evolution. They will try to take your, your sense of hope and purpose away from you and tell you that, that there's no God, that God is not real, that, that all that stuff your parents and that silly preacher told you is not true because science is our God. You don't have to be accountable to anyone. You live the way that you want to live. Can I tell you that's all gobbledygook? Listen, I respect people that pay the price for education, but just because you have a Ph.D. does not mean, come on, that you're a doctor of philosophy. You could be a post-hole digger, Ph.D., post-hole digger. If you believe, listen, that all that we see came from evolution out of a little primal ooze, if you believe a frog became a fish and a fish became a monkey and a monkey became an alligator, or whatever, the alligator was before the monkey and then the monkey became a man, the problem with it, they don't have any proof of macroevolution, of evolution from species to species. Their pictures are birds changing feathers or, 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 or rabbits changing the color of their, uh, of their fur during the wintertime and the fall, but they want to get God out of the equation. And if that's the basis of their education, that's their supposition that there is no God and everything came from primal ooze and there's no purpose in life, my friend, they're an educated fool. Okay, I got half of you. I thought I'd get about two-thirds, but I, I, I'll take half. Now, but what he wanted them to do, he wanted them to live like worldly people instead of godly people. He wanted them to violate Jewish dietary laws. He wanted them to eat food sacrificed to an idol. He wanted them to take on new names. But all this is a picture of trying to turn them into worldly people rather than godly people. Now, how many know the New Testament tells us to pull away from these things? Listen to 2 Corinthians six 14. You're not the same as those who don't believe. Stop right there. Christian, you're not the same as someone who doesn't believe in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that I am any better than they are as a person. Come on. 
I mean, we're all made out of a little dirt, and we're all sinners before God saves us. So I may not be better than you, but Christ adopts me into his family. Christ gives me a new name. He gives me a new purpose in life. And I am different from those who believe. Good and bad don't belong together. How can Christ and the devil have any agreement? Now listen to what it says. It says, leave those people and be separate, says the Lord. Touch nothing that is unclean and... So here's the question. Do you want to be accepted by God? That's kind of bottom line. And if I want to be accepted by God, I need to pull away from the things in the, of the world that are pulling me down. See, uh, now that's not saying that you can't hang out with, quote, worldly people. How many know Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners? But here's the deal. They didn't influence him. He influenced them. If you're swimming with a drowning person, that drowning person lets you pull them out, jump in there. But if that drowning person tries to drown you, you know what they taught me in lifeguard school? They told me, give them a kick and swim away. So if your friends are trying to pull you down, you need a new set of friends. Listen, ladies, if your boyfriend says, if you love me, you will, here's my advice. Get a new boyfriend. If he doesn't expect, respect you enough to encourage you in a life of purity, get a new boyfriend and do it quick. Same thing, guys, in today's world. If she says, come on, baby, let's go, you'll say, I'm going, I'll see you later. Now, listen, when we talk about worldliness, listen, the, the, the music you listen to, the television shows you watch, the movies you go to, they're going to determine the kind of person you're going to be. I'm just telling you. A Christian sometimes needs to get up from a movie and walk out. If you're going to watch television as a Christian, you've got to watch defensively with the thing in your hand. Now, I'll tell you, personally, I can take a little cussing, but I don't want too much. I can tell you in the first couple minutes if it's been edited or not. And if it hadn't been edited, I'm hitting the delete button on my DVR. How about you? Why is that? Is that because, I, is that because you know, I don't want my, my pure little virgin ears to hear? No, listen, I was probably worldlier than you were. I just don't want it to pull me back into its trap. And I'm telling you, it's all over your computer screen. They, they, they see, all your interaction with the computer, somebody in computer land keeps track of that. You, you just search for a new pair of shoes on the Internet, and the next week that same pair of shoes is coming up from Amazon and this company and that company. But guess what else is tracking you? There's, there's some little cute little girlies and guys that are kind of on there too wanting you to come my way. One of my favorite sites this week, I was looking at it, and I was amazed because there's this little girl chasing me on all my, on all my websites this week. And, and I can see her from here up. She just skin, from here down skin, and in the middle there's a button to push. I didn't push the button, but I'm telling you, something inside, after I saw it half a dozen times, I thought, I wonder what's behind that button. Now, I'm embarrassed to say that as your pastor today, but I didn't push the button. Let me ask you a question. Did you push the button this week? Oh, you that are quiet, that's a guilty quiet right now. I'm telling you, it's worldliness. It's trying to pull you away from God. It was a spiritual test because Nebuchadnezzar and company were trying to turn Israelites into Babylonians. And you have a real evil. Listen, our culture today is trying to transform you and your children into worldly, godless people with godless values. My friend, don't let them do it. 
Don't let them do it. Here's what happened. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. They passed the test. Verse 9 says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion with his supervisor. But listen to this. God gave him learning, skill, understanding, and visions and dreams. And verse 20, the king found them ten times better than the musicians. So what's the story in that? If I pass the test... God will reward me. Come on, let me say it again. If I pass the test, God will reward me. It'll be in this life and the one to come. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this, this morning. Now, let's go to, let's go to chapter 3. We're going to continue with this. Here's the second test. Will I do what's right when it could cost me everything? Will I do what's right when there's a price to pay? And I suggest this to you, my friends. It is not much of a price to pay to be a Christian in America today for most of us. There could come a day when there will be a price to pay, but for most of us, there is no price to pay. In this next test, we'll see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Basically, we're told, if you don't bow down and worship in an idol, we're going to cast you into the fiery furnace. Well, you've heard this story before, but I have a way to present it to you that you have probably not heard before. We searched on the Internet, and we found a recording that was probably made by uh, Nebuchadnezzar's band. Uh, this was before the time that uh, they had uh, printing presses, so it couldn't be recorded. But we found an old DVD on the Internet that probably Nebuchadnezzar had made. So I want you to listen to this. It's actually from 1939. That was the joke, my last one of the message. Take a peek at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now, Ford Leary and the boys would like to tell you the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Shadrach. There were three children from the land of Israel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They took a trip to the land of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Shadrach. Meshach Abednego took a lot of gold and he made an idol. Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. And he told everybody when they heard the music of the cornet. And he told everybody when they heard the music of the clarinet. And he told everybody when they heard the music of the horn. Must bow down and worship the idol Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. But the children of Israel would not bow down, not Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. You couldn't fool them with no golden idol Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. King put the children in the fiery furnace. Oh, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. He found the coals and the red hot brimstone. Oh, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. Seven times hotter. Hotter oh, than it ought to be. Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. Burned up the soldiers that the king had oh, put there. Shadrach. Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. But the Lord sent an angel with snowy white wings. Down in the middle of the furnace. Yeah! Talking to the children about the power of the gospel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Couldn't even harm a hair round the head of Shadrach. Meshach, Abednego. Laughing and a-talking while the fires are jumping. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar called. Oh, yeah! When he saw the power of the Lord. 
And they had a big time in the house of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Shadrach. Well, entertainment has changed in America over the years, hasn't it? Can you imagine going out to dinner and saying, we're going to go listen to a band, and the guy pulls out his Bible and starts singing a Bible story? America's different today. Can you imagine? In their day, they couldn't have imagined, though, having to have metal detectors at schools. In their day, they couldn't imagine about having to put some of the budget aside, even in a church, to have a deputy. Come on. In their day, they couldn't have imagined what we're dealing with today, that we give our kids condoms at school. They couldn't have imagined that, that, that the world that we live in today. And this point is, 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 is very viable to us, this one and the next one, because, well, I do what's right when it could cost me something. Now, the story, Daniel 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. At 1,600 an ounce, it was worth a lot of money. Verse 4, a herald shouted out, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey, what's it say, will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, I mean, that's like right there, that's the law. And here was the problem. Here's what they knew in their heart was right. They knew the Ten Commandments of Moses. And number two said, you shall not make a graven image and you shall not bow down to any idol. But it would have been very easy. I mean, if you're walking and you drop your cell phone, guess what do you do? You bow down to pick it up. So they just could have faked it when the idol came back. It would have been very easy. Nobody would have known. It's just like, you know, when, when uh, you're with this particular group of friends and lunch is on the table and you make sure they're not looking, you go, thank you, Jesus. I mean, something, something happens in our life when there's some pressure that we know to do what's right, but it's easier to do what's wrong. Well, that's where they were, and this particular issue could have cost them, but they chose to stand with their convictions and can I say it to you again? In America today, there's not much of a price to pay to be a Christian. Has anyone ever heard of a man named Pastor Youssef? Let me tell you who he is. He's a Christian brother, a pastor that's been in an Iranian jail over 900 days, that has a death sentence hanging over his head, and his only crime is he is a Christian. And the way to get out of jail is to say, Muhammad is the prophet, and I bow down. Come on. Well, guess what happened? I read this week that his lawyer that has been defending him, now he's going to go to jail for up to nine years. Why? Because he's defending someone, come on, that's standing for the infidels. Well, you say, that's Iran. Woo, thank God that's not America. I read about a man that worked at an insurance company in America. On his own personal web page, nothing to do with the company and no reference, he simply made the statement, I believe in traditional marriage. He lost his job. Because there's a price to pay sometimes to be a Christian. Now, I want you to think about this just a minute. There's something that we all need, and it's something called courage. I'm not going to read this next scripture, but I just want to remind you something you know. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is getting ready to go into the promised land. He's about to lead these people there. And three times, God says, be strong. Verse 6, verse 7, I think it's verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do what I said, and God will be with you. And could I suggest to you, sometimes men and women of courage... When the idol is there in front of you to bow down, your knees are knocking. Come on. 
Sometimes you lose a little sleep the night before. To have courage and to be brave doesn't mean it doesn't affect you emotionally, but it's a choice you make in the middle of the mess. Come on, that I'm going to stand for strong God, and I'm going to do what's right, even though I have to lose something as a believer. Now, why don't you think about that today? Because America's changing. What we see in America today embodied in the election is not Christians against non-Christians. Listen, most of the folks in politics are not believers. Come on, I don't care if they're R's, D's, or I's, or whatever's. And how many know the solution to America is not just to change a political party. The solution for America's problems are return to God. I mean, it's a big trouble world that we live in today. But you, my friend, could be forced to make a decision to bow down to the idol. My question is, what are you going to do? I'm going to develop this more in, in, in the third point, but I want to tell you what they did. They said one of the most powerful verses in all of the Scripture that combined faith and sovereignty in one simple voice. They simply said this, King, we will not bow down to you. They said, Our God is well able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, come on, we will not bow down. They were filled with faith, knowing that God was a miracle-working God, but they did not tie their response to what was happening. They said, we're going to believe God even if we have to go down with the ship. Well, I want to tell you, friends, you know the story. You heard it sung there from 1939, the big band sound. He threw them in that fiery furnace. And the way they got in is they had some of their soldiers, and the soldiers pushed them in, and the fire was so hot. it literally. Have you ever been barbecuing, and you opened the grill up, and it was so hot it just singed the hair on your hand? Well, this was so hot, it killed those guys. It made french fries out of the guards. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Babylonian names, fall down into this fiery furnace. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to fall into the fire, I'd probably be a little bit tense, you know. I'd probably be like, mm. And can you imagine what they felt after they realized they were there a minute, and they're looking around, and they're still there? Come on. And they do this, and the, and the ropes have been burnt off. But nothing else is singed on it. You say, that's impossible. My friend, all things are possible with God to those that believe. See, the God of the Bible is the God that can create something out of nothing. The God of the Bible is the one that can hold the planets, come on, in this perfect rotation around the sun to sustain life. The God of the Bible keeps putting oxygen in the air that six billion people are breathing at some astronomical rate. Come on. The God of the Bible. They fall down in there and they get up and all of a sudden they look around and they see a fourth guy. Now theologians call this a Christophany or theophany, which means God himself literally appeared in that fiery furnace with them. And he basically said, boys, you've been in here long enough. Me too. Let's go. And they step out of it and they walk out. And Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he thinks he's been on bad drugs or something. I, he's just kind of, he's kind of doing like that. And he's saying, didn't we throw three guys in there? There's a fourth one. And the fourth looks like a son of God. And they come out. And then Nebuchadnezzar says this basically. And I, I won't read the whole thing for time's sake. But here's basically what he says. Wow. <laughs> wow. There's no God like this. And anybody that speaks against the God of these Israelite men, we're going to tear you limb from limb and burn your houses down. And oh, by the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to promote you real good. Come on, I'm going to prosper you because you've just had the courage and guts to stand for what's right even though there's a price to pay. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand this morning. Let's look at another one. It's very similar. It's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But I want to make this one a little more pointed towards our culture today. And I ask, this, this is the third test. Will I bow to political correctness or will I be true to God? 
Let me say it again. Well, I bow to the political correctness of the day, which is basically a term of saying, well, I submit to the ungodly standards of society, or will I be different? Now, Daniel, now, Daniel 6, verse 7, Daniel is at a high level of government. Mind you, he's been a slave all of, his, uh, all of his adult life. He's living in a place he didn't want to be, but still he serves God. Well, uh, he is appointed in some of the top tiers of government. Other people are jealous, so now they're going to use his religion against him. Verse 7, the royal administrators and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. Now, they're manipulating the king to write a law. And the, the law is going to be that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 10, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, here's a decision point. This is the test. When the powers that be tell me to bow down, or in this case, the powers that be tell me that I can't pray, will I keep my mouth shut or will I continue to worship? Verse 10, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went to his upstairs room, windows open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, what did he do? Yeah, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he'd done before. Now, Daniel was in the political crosshairs. They were going to take him out because of his religion. And he had a decision to make. Would he allow the political correctness to control his life or would he stand for God? Now, you know what I'm saying. There is tr tremendous parallels in modern America today. If in modern America today, if in the right situation, you say like Coach Brown of the Nebraska Cornhuskers recently did, that I believe in traditional marriage, you, my friend, could lose your job. If you say on a website or anywhere in the right if you at work say something, come on, you could lose your job. If you say... Jesus is the, oh, and you'd be called a hate monger and a bigot because you offended someone. And let me say this as I begin this conversation. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about biblical morality and how believers respond to issues of the day. First of all, let me say, I don't think we should ever respond in a superior fashion talking down to people. I think people that are snared by things that the Bible calls sin, we should have mercy and compassion for them. We should do everything in our power to see them converted to Christ because they're only deceived and deluded by the evil one. Are you with me today? So we're not the ones throwing stones and throwing rocks. But you may be one that has to stand for truth in this life. If you're someone who dares to say, I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, you'll be called narrow-minded. But you would simply be agreeing with the Bible. And in the Bible, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. So doesn't it seem to you like it's a loving thing that if we would simply agree with the Bible and tell people the cross is the way to eternal life? If you would say something against abortion today, those that, the, that worship at the altar of abortion would basically say you hate women because you don't care about women's health care. How in the world do we call the taking of a child's life health care? See, this is the world that we live in today. I'm going to read something else to you. I just, I just downloaded these articles this morning. The first one's entitled, A $1 Abortion Surcharge in Obamacare. The Department of Health and Human Services has finalized the policies governing the health care exchanges and with it the rules governing abortion coverage under the new law. Pro-lifers have long known that the health care law would require the enrollees in the health care exchanges to pay a separate monthly surcharge for abortion coverage. 
the surcharge is $1. Which simply means that over time, unless the Supreme Court overturns it, I personally hope they do, there, there needs to be a solution to health care. Come on, we're all smart enough to know that. But the way we're headed is not the right way. If, 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 if this were to happen, you may enroll in a plan, and it's just kind of there. You have to begin to pay. Would that bother you? If you're a physician, would it bother you if you worked at a hospital and that hospital was demanding that you perform abortions or lose your job? Would it bother you? Would it bother you if you're a pharmacist or, 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 and you're forced to, you're forced to uh, give the morning after pill and you of conscience, religious conviction, believe that it causes an abortion? What would you do? See, there's two standards at work in America. Several months ago, the, uh, I think it's the, it was the Arapaho Indians sued our, 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 our government because they wanted to use uh, feathers and body parts of a bald eagle in a religious ceremony, and they were given an exemption. But the Catholic bishops stood, and they said, we believe abortion is morally wrong, and we will not submit to it in a health care program. Guess what they were told? They were told, we'll give you one year to change your mind, friend. But there's two different standards. So my, when I say this today, I realize the problems are almost so big that they just seem impossible to deal with. But one day, matters of conscience will come before you. Let me read something else I read this morning from right up the state in, in Kansas, Kansas' latest battleground. Kansas has now become the latest battleground state for special rights for homosexuals and cross-dressers. And again, as I say all the time, the sin of homosexuality is no different from the sin of adultery, from the sin of fornication, from the pornographer, from the child molester. I mean, no, sin is sin in the eyes of God. And to say it, I, I hope, I, well, I don't think it makes me a hate monger. I think it's a statement of love because the Bible carries a great warning about eternity for those that embrace and practice such things. But can't, back to Kansas, they've asked the city government to add sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. A lawyer for Liberty Council said basically this proposal would say churches are impacted by it. For example, if a church rents out any part of its facility to a person or group in the community, they would come underneath the policy. And if someone had wanted to have a drag queen festival at the church, transgender people, men dressing as women, uh, then the church can't refuse even though their religious beliefs are violated. Uh, Let's see. If it states that if a woman feels uncomfortable with the idea of a man undressing in front of her in a locker room or using the restroom facilities with her, the business should encourage her to wait until the male has left the restroom, even if she was in there first. Last year, a Macy's employee was fired after she told a man he could not use the same dressing room as a woman. She approached the man after a female customer said it made her feel uncomfortable and she was fired. Under these laws, there's nothing stopping an individual from simply claiming that they're the opposite gender in order to oogle women in a locker room setting. All they would need to do is simply say, I feel like a woman. Okay, whatever you feel about that, first of all, I hope you feel compassion for people that are, that are, that are trapped by that lifestyle. First of all, I hope you feel a, a, a Christian concern for their soul. But secondly, if these issues cross your life, you're going to have to make a decision. And I hope you walk close with God so you know what to do. I'm simply saying that's what faced Daniel. And to Daniel they said, you cannot pray. 
In America today, many times before someone prays, they want to look at your prayer and make sure it doesn't have a Christian reference or the name of Jesus in it, and they'll say, you can't do it. You watch when graduation seasons comes up. The ACLU will be growing like spring flowers. And some kids, listen, I've read stories where some kids in their high school have basically said, I'm praying anyway, and they were escorted off the stage by a policeman because they mentioned the name of Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, this is America, a nation that our founding presidents, I can give you quotes, the first three presidents in America talked about Jesus, the Bible, and Christianity, but today it is becoming increasingly illegal to do that. And that's the situation Daniel found himself in. You may find yourself in that situation one day. My question is this, what will you do? Daniel went home and prayed three times a day with the windows of open, and basically he just said, God, I commit myself to you. And lo and behold, into the lion's den he went. And the glorious thing for him is he got down there and he was sleeping with a bunch of sedated kitty cats. Come on. I mean, he was, he was, he was, he was, I guess he probably used the pillow of one of those old boys. Now, I don't know what he thought going down. Probably the same thing that you and I would think. Father, in Jesus' name, I just commit myself to you, and I, I give you my life. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But when he got down there, he didn't feel the grab. And this time, instead of the little kitty rubbing his ankles, this little lion was rubbing next to his waist. You said, lions don't do that. God can make a lion do anything. So anyway, that's his story. They pulled him out, and then they threw the bad guys in. And the next verse says, God promoted Daniel. Now look, in Revelation, they experienced death. And then they got the crown of life. In Daniel, because God had further need of those guys' witness and testimony, each time he got them out and each time he lifted them higher. I'm going to close this morning with the last scripture. It's the last scripture of the book of Daniel. Believe it or not, we've covered most of the book of Daniel. Because after the lion's den, the next six chapters talks about end-time events, the book of Revelation. But here's the last verse. You, Daniel, what's it say? That is, live out the rest of your days in faithfulness to God, and then you will die, but you'll rise to receive your reward at the end of time. Now, I want to tell you, that's a promise worth living for. And can I tell you, that is the same verse and promise that perhaps should guide our lives today. Live, you be faithful to God to the end. Every time you face a spiritual test, stay faithful to God. I've got news for you, friend. Life on this earth is temporary. I don't care how long you live, it's going to be over one day. Earth is not your home. Come on, heaven is your home. This is a warm-up for eternity. And when you face a spiritual test, put that, screen, put that scripture back on the screen, please. Jesus gave the promise, is you're going to die, but I've got something good in store for you when you get to heaven. And can I tell you, friend, that's what we're living for. Praise the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing just a short chorus, and then we'll go home this morning. Sure glad you came this morning. A little quick guest reception right after for any new people. I'll meet with you right across the hall. And, of course, Wednesday nights, the Connect class and classes and life groups. Just sing it one last time, Pastor, and we'll pray and go home. Leading on this battleground, seeing just how much Praise you've you, Lord. done. Knowing every victory, sure power.
pray for all of us that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We just want to pray that you would visit us afresh, Lord. But God, I want to pray for any that may be in a spiritual test now. The test, whether it could be physical sickness, it could be our family, it could be our finances, or it could be our convictions. I want to pray for myself and all my friends that we would pass the test. And I pray that we would stay faithful to you all of our days. And that when we face difficulty, that the Holy Spirit might bring this message to mind and remind us that trials are a test. And when we're faithful to God, God promises to reward us. And we bless you today. I want to make one last opportunity for anyone that wants personal prayer. If you're here this morning, and maybe this message really resonated with you. Maybe God showed you that something you're going through in your life is a test a challenge, a difficulty or something, and you simply would like prayer to pass the test. You know, my kids text me all the time. They say, Dad, I got my final exam. Pray for me today. Well, maybe you're in the middle of this test and you don't know when the end of it's going to be, but you simply want to pray for the strength of God, that God would help you be strong. They'll pray for you. We'll pray for anything else that may be lingering, but perhaps you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, my great need is to get right with God. I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell when I die, but I've heard about Jesus. I believe in Him, and I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to receive His forgiveness, and I want to commit my life to follow Him. And I want to do that this morning in prayer. Someone will pray for you and will give you something to help you in your Christian life, something to read to make your next step. Whatever it is, if you want prayer, our prayer team is coming right now, and uh, I just invite you to come. Prayer team, come on up. We're going to pray. Nick will sing this through one time, and then we'll go. But if you want prayer for anything, you come this morning. Get right with God, you come this morning. You're in the middle of a test, and you need God to help you. You want to finish strong. Let us pray for you this morning. I love you, and God bless you.